The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Bud Elliott. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live at youtube.com slash cover three and all across the 24-7 Sports Facebook network. Thanks for hanging out. Smash that subscribe. Smash that like. Come and join us in the chat. It is Sunday. It is Selection Sunday. And as we are speaking right now, the college football playoff is being announced. It is being set. Uh, We have Georgia, the 13-0 SEC champions at number one. Michigan, the 13-0 Big Ten champions at number two. And as we are coming to you live, and I'm sure that you are watching along as well, um, there's probably going to be some some riffing going on here, right? Well, we know one and two. We got got to build the drama uh, (laughs) as as we go. And... And while uh, I, I don't have the audio on on the selection show right now, I, I just I have to assume what we have been assuming this entire time that Georgia will go to the Peach and Michigan will go to the Fiesta, right? I mean, there's just there's zero chance that the Bulldogs would sign up for a cross country trip when they don't have to. TCU is three. TCU is three. There Whoa! goes all the drama. Oh wow, man, I'm shocked. I'm shocked that they didn't choose. Oh, hey, maybe they'll choose Alabama over Ohio State. Maybe it's Alabama over Ohio State. Incredibly funny to me. Would we we still be as angry if Alabama got in, but it was over Ohio State? Not as angry, but still pretty. It'd still be pretty dumb. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like Bama does not have quality wins this year, and its losses look worse over the last month. I didn't totally, um, you know, Bud, you mentioned it on the, 
you mentioned it on the reaction show. It was, it was pretty hilarious that Nick Saban has gone all the way into his bag of like, and I mean, the odds makers, if you were to go to ask them, it's like, Nick, haven't you been yelling at us to not talk about odds and point spreads for years, giving rat poison to your team? Mm. And the things that some of those, those odds are, are, are made upon are the things he also tells us to not talk about, like recruiting rankings. Mm-hmm. I, look, I, aside from the fact that Nick Saban gets a bonus if his team makes the playoff, I, I think the, the major reason why he's stumping so hard for Alabama, despite the fact that they do not deserve to be in, is that he knows how much talent he and his coaching staff wasted this year. This is absolutely one of the most talented rosters in the country, and it had 12 games to show it, and it didn't play like it. Right, and I know Bryce got dinged up, but elsewhere they had some important transfer portal misses. They had some guys who didn't play to their talent level. I mean, in Tuscaloosa, you're talking about maybe changing both coordinators. Uh, they they wasted a golden opportunity this year to win something before Bryce Young leaves, and I think he knows that. I think that's why he's trying to get in so he can get some redemption, one last shot to win something with Bryce. And he's not in because Ohio State was just announced as the number four seed. So. Woo! Our top four is Georgia, Michigan, TCU, Ohio State. I get to keep doing the show next year. Congratulations, everybody. Congratulations to you. Tom Fernelli. You know, we're we're just so happy for him. And and people people were out here saying that it like it would be really funny to see how Tom would react had Alabama made the top four. You don't want to see that. Like everyone that's been doing the like Joker Oregon origin story meme, you, you don't want to <laughs> see how dark the Tom Fernelli Joker movie goes. Tom, Tom just pulls the plug on the oh it, it, internet outage weird. <laughs> so we got one Georgia, two Michigan, three TCU, and four Ohio State for the final college football playoff rankings. It'll be the Bulldogs versus the Buckeyes, and it will be the. Uh, Wolverines against the Horned Frogs. Giddy up. It's a great mascot, Final Four. Like, you've got one generic name in the Bulldogs, but then you've got Wolverines, Buckeyes, Horned Frogs. It's, you know, it's, it's a nice name. It's a nice battle of names. That's what it's all about. Alabama's at five and Tennessee at six. So Alabama ranked ahead of the team that beat it. <laughs> the, the last thing I want to say on Bama. Before we move on, because now I, I don't really want to talk about Alabama anymore. I want to talk about the playoff teams that actually deserve to be in there. And the committee did the, the correct thing here. If TCU or Ohio State gets smoked, I don't want to hear about how Alabama would have not gotten smoked. Because here's the thing. Bama has two L's to teams that Georgia smoked, right? Georgia crushed LSU. Georgia smoked Tennessee and could have put up you know 50 on them if they hadn't called the dogs off and started running the ball every play in the second half. This idea that Bama would not get smoked by Georgia this year, there is no evidence for that, period. Like, they've already lost the two teams that Georgia smoked. Sorry. Mm. And also, Georgia's smoking teams is just kind of what Georgia does. Like, that's – if they crush them, that's because Georgia's really good. And Ohio State was already smoked by Michigan. So it's like it's yeah. it's one of those situations where this is just an odd year where we're in the situation that we're in where we're like there's a literal debate 
you know, with a sturdy foundation or not. Throwing that aside, there's a debate about a two-loss Alabama team having a shot to get in simply because there isn't a dominant team or there's only one dominant team or maybe two if you consider Michigan. So we've got to find four teams for a tournament that we created despite the fact that there probably really are only two teams that are have had dominant seasons, Georgia and Michigan. So you get stuck in these dumb little conversations about, well, who's the fourth most dominant team and the fourth most dominant team in most, in most seasons. If you just look at the way the playoff has played out is usually nowhere near the caliber of one of the top two teams. And that's just what happens last year with Cincinnati that got crushed in its semifinal. Every year there is a team getting crushed in the semifinal. It doesn't mean they didn't deserve to be there. It just means there's usually only one or two elite teams. So That's why the BCS is great. This would have been a great BCS year today. However, if Kansas State, who and they probably scored, by the way, like very well, you know, TCU could be undefeated here. If TCU had won, it would have been a pretty bad BCS year. Because Mich- let's remember, Michigan's non-conference was a total joke. And, mm-hmm. you know, like I, I think that those of us arguing the BCS would have been great this year got a little bit fortunate that, that TCU did not win. But would TCU have made it in a BCS system? No. No, that's what I'm saying. Like, but but you, you would have had a legitimate complaint from TCU. Hmm. Um when uh when, when official I just try to pull up Caesars real quick. When official lines pop up for these games, holler at me. Um oh, uh, well we have uh we have a book that's not our sponsor. It's been up uh, since last night, which is okay. one of the reasons we, we were you know confident that Bama was not getting in. Uh, Michigan nine, I think, over TCU, and I think I saw six and a half, I believe, for uh, for Georgia. Six and a half, I believe. Let me right. pull to see if that's changed. Oof, I'm <clears throat> so TCU is a new arrival to the college football playoff. Uh, obviously, Georgia has been in uh, multiple times. First, making its debut back in 2017, then uh, also being in last year as they won the national championship. This is uh, a many visits for Ohio State and Michigan, of course, making it for the second straight season. And new arrival to the 14 playoff. You know, when we get into this 12 team edition, there will be more new arrivals. We've got, you know, more access and more availability here. But I, I'll say that I'm I'm happy for TCU. They had a they had a hell of a season. And when they the cameras showed that team, they looked a little uneasy. It felt confident. Mm-hmm. But they knew there was a chance that this thing could have gone really sour. This is, after all, a program that got screwed in 2014. And so if there were still some scars from that, I, I would not blame them. So uh, congratulations to TCU as you are the latest uh, newcomer to the college football playoff club, a club that is about to get significantly less exclusive beginning in the 2024 <laughs> season. Yeah, and. I mean, it's great timing, too, because not only is this TCU's first appearance in the playoff, TCU becomes the first Big 12 team that isn't Oklahoma to be chosen for the playoff, and they do it in the year in which Oklahoma is you know, soon to be leaving the conference. So in a time where the conference is going to be changing, it could be something of a, you know, like planting your flag in a way of saying, nope, we're the new guys in town. Yeah, I mean, like TCU is recruiting well. They obviously are going to be pretty involved in the NIL space. This is definitely going to elevate TCU's program, no matter what happens in the playoff, right? And honestly, you can't tell me that Michigan is absolutely going to smash these guys. They have played a lot of games where they did not smash people this year against much worse teams than TCU. Uh, but you know, you look at this, 
TCU is a pretty good football team, guys. They they have a, a future, you know, like top end draft pick receiver in Quentin Johnston. Max Duggan is a dude who we saw at Elite Eleven as a recruit, and he was a I think a four or five sport guy from Iowa. Wrestling, basketball, baseball, football, maybe he did track, and and so he's somebody who's just continued to emerge throughout his college career after a couple of rocky years because he he did not get all that like private quarterback training, and he wasn't just all in on quarterback all throughout his high school career. He was a really raw guy coming out with some tools, and now he's starting to maximize those tools a little bit. Still a really good athlete. You have some difference makers on defense. They hit on Newton in the corner, or Newman, rather, who they got from Louisiana Monroe. TCU's a pretty good football team. You know, like and, and Miller, by the way, I know he didn't get in yesterday on the goal line, is that's a really good back. Like This is a team that if you guys don't watch a lot of Big 12, I know you do, but speaking to our audience here, uh, they're they're pretty fun to watch. No, we, we've got a lot of angry in the audience right now. A lot, a lot of uh, you know, what what would happen if TCU on a neutral field? What would happen? TCU's not all that good. We're really uh, bagging on the frogs, and I'm not going to be here for it because it does have to be a balance between best and most deserving. I understand that they say the college football playoff is supposed to pick the four best teams to go compete for a national championship, but why do we even play the damn games if we're only going to be saying best and not care about what happened on the field? They won 12 games and only lost one, and it just happened in overtime in a game where it is debatable whether or not they would have scored a touchdown on that very first possession. Listen, the only time, and this is not just Alabama, this is fans of any team in this current system, just the way that things are, where you're there aren't like solid requirements for selection. It's just kind of opinion or whatever you want to call it, a vote, a selection process. The only time any fan base asks what would have happened is when they don't want to talk about what did happen. And what did happen was you lost twice. That's all it is. It doesn't matter what you think you might do against any of the four teams that are in there. You had your chance to get there. You lost. You have to accept the consequences of losing. I know, especially for Alabama fans, it's not consequences you're used to having to deal with because you lose very rarely. You are the most dominant program in the sport, and you have been for a long time. But this year wasn't your year. Just accept it. You'll be fine. You'll be right back in the running again next year. Maybe they won't be. I think Bama fans know what Nick Saban knows, that this was the year to go out and get a title. You just wasted Bryce Young. You did not win a national championship with Bryce Young as your starting quarterback. There's a lot of guys on this team who won't be back next year. I think these Bama fans in our comments right now are worried that it's slipping away, right? That's how it starts. Okay, finally somebody gets over the hump. A former Saban assistant beats him last year. This year... Sloppy play on the field. They don't look well coached. The, the guys that we know are very talented. You want to talk about who's best? Show me your best. You had 12 games to do so. Your best win is a one-point win over a Texas team with the backup. You know what TCU did? They went to Texas and beat TCU or beat Texas with Texas starter. You, you had 12 games to show that you're the best. These power ratings, I agree. Would I have been favored over TCU in a neutral field? Yes, I would. It's entirely because of the caliber of recruit they sign and all of their history and priors. But they didn't, sh- all that stuff didn't r- really matter this year. They didn't show it on the field. They didn't, didn't play, play, they to, didn't play well. yeah, You didn't play to your percentage, yeah. right? You know who else has a, has a boatload of talent and a guy that has won a national title? College Station. 
guys, they had a lot of close losses too. I mean, why, why, why not put them in? They, they got a whole lot of talent, right? You actually have to show it on the field. Including the close loss to Alabama for Texas yeah. A&M. Right there at the goal line. You know, Nick Saban said you got to take the context of these wins into consideration. So let's take the context of it too. We do have these semifinal matchups set. So what does that mean? It means we are going to preview the way too early look-aheads at the Fiesta Bowl between Michigan and TCU and the Peach Bowl between Georgia and Ohio State. We'll get into our early thoughts on the matchups next. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. So for those of you that want to plan your Saturday, December 31st, here's the way that it's going to unfold. 4 p.m. Eastern time. That will be the kickoff from the Fiesta Bowl between Michigan and TCU. Again, uh, our early lines that we got on that from Vegas and indicated we got Michigan around a nine-point favorite. At 8 p.m., the nightcap, ringing in the new year with Georgia and Ohio State in the Peach Bowl from Atlanta, Georgia, favored by about six and a half. So let's go uh, in chronological order. First with that 4 p.m. kickoff from the Fiesta Bowl, Michigan and TCU. So what are going to be the keys uh, for Michigan to try? Like, What can Michigan do to be able to take control of this game from start to finish and try to exert it in a way that the Wolverines have done against most of their opponents. Don't give up the big plays. I mean, that's, we, we saw it. We saw it against Purdue. We saw it against Ohio state. We've seen it a lot with Michigan this year. You can get, you can move the ball on them to a degree in the open field, but once this field starts to get short, can you finish drives and put the ball in the end zone? We saw a TCU against Kansas state. Now, one of those touchdowns that wasn't a touchdown was a touchdown. They didn't get credit for it. But we have seen TCU kind of struggle in those situations. A lot of what TCU does is explosive plays to get points on the board. If TCU's in a red zone situation or in whatever you want to call it, inside the 40, inside the 30, whatever kind of scoring zone you prefer, if TCU is in those situations, will they be able to finish drives against Michigan? That's what it's going to come down to because TCU's not going to beat Michigan by playing defense. It's going to have to outscore it in some way because Michigan's offensive line is going to be able to help them move the ball against that defense. So you've got to outscore. You've got to hit big plays. And if you're Michigan, you just got to keep them, keep them kicking field goals like you did to Purdue and like you did to Ohio State. I, I was going to say the exact opposite thing. Well, the same thing, but for the other oh. side of the football. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah. Right? So if you look at TCU's defense on a down-to-down basis, they're really pretty good. The one weakness so far this year is that they have given up the explosive pass play too often. That's kind of the one area that you can typically hit them. Most teams do not run on TCU all that effectively. And TCU is not huge up front, but they do a really good job with stunts and blitzes and angles to to keep people off balance. I I think the the perfect example of that, honestly, is the Texas game. I mean, In some of that duo stuff that Texas was running – I mean, TCU was able to use one guy 
to consistently influence two blockers, and it allowed the linebackers to come free. I mean, look, look at how they bottled up Bijan Robinson in that game, who's you know maybe the best back in the country. Now, Michigan is really well coached up front, but you can stymie those guys for you know for a period of time. You're going to have to obviously add to that with what you do on offense and score. But JJ McCarthy is not above throwing bad interceptions and not above being confused. And Joe Gillespie. Ask anybody who coached in the American Conference the past couple of years when he was the, the D.C. at Tulsa. This was a really smart hire for Sonny Dykes. It wouldn't shock me if he's able to confuse J.J. McCarthy. I mean, McCarthy really wasn't confused last night. He just – he YOLO-balled a pick that, honestly, if Purdue was a better team, could have swung that game uh, potentially because they, they had a chance to really put the game away uh, and did not there. They, they later uh, did. I, I'll be interested to watch how TCU's offensive line holds up. Mm-hmm. If you go back on our Wednesday show, we talked about this. Granted, you're going to struggle more against good defensive lines than you do against bad ones. That's kind of a tautology, but think about it. Michigan does have a pretty nice defensive line up front. Kansas State is a really good D-line, and so does Texas. And both those teams were able to give TCU some trouble, as well as Oklahoma State before they got all dinged up. They, they gave TCU trouble for about 40 minutes there in Fort Worth. So Michigan's D-line has to play really well, and I think TCU has to not allow the explosive pass play and see if Michigan could execute in the red zone. Because honestly, Michigan in the red zone this year has been a bit of an issue on offense. Jake Moody, a lot of kicks, which is like great because mm-hmm. he's a very, very good place kicker. But I think that Michigan fans you know, would have seen more lopsided results if you didn't have to try out Jake Moody for a bunch of those 27, 31, 32, those, those field goals where there was a scoring opportunity, but the windows got a little bit tight. McCarthy didn't quite have it. And, you know, even though that run game's very, very good, and remember Blake Corum not coming back out for the rest of the season, um, they had trouble in some of those short yardage situations and had to settle for some kicks as well. But they didn't have any trouble in them yesterday. And they didn't have much trouble in them against Ohio State. You think they're getting better in that situation, or is that more reflective of the Purdue and Ohio State defenses? uh, I don't. Well, Ohio State's defense is good, first of all. But, I mean, Purdue's defense has been pretty solid, well, like too. The like the execution, like, you know, to, to grade the performance. Well, I think that J.J. McCarthy's getting better. I think that McCarthy early in the year was probably the biggest hindrance towards Michigan not being able to finish those drives. I think J.J.'s making better throws in that situation, and I think maybe the play calls have been a little bit better for him in those situations, and they've been able to run the ball. They, I can't remember the kid's name right now. But he, he's kind of become their short yardage back since Corum went out, and he's been very effective in that role. I just I don't think it's as big of a problem for the Wolverines right now as it was maybe even three or four weeks ago. That's good to know. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm admitting that Big Ten Championship game was still in like the third quarter when we started our instant reaction show. I have not gotten back my own eyes on it to, uh, to grade that film. So <clears throat> I, I know from our notes and our discussions that, you know, Purdue, to, to go back to the TCU side of this, Purdue had opportunities that it was not able to turn into touchdowns, and that clearly let the game slip away. So if you want a roadmap for TCU on how to not be able to give yourself a chance to win late, I think that the Purdue script in terms of uh, getting touchdowns and those red zone opportunities certainly has to be uh, on the table. So Alex in the chat asked a question earlier. Let me see. Uh, let me see if I can pull it up because – we, I don't think that we've exactly uh, mentioned this, but it's certainly something that is like in the wouldn't it be hilarious. Alex says, 
who else is hoping for an extremely toxic Ohio State Michigan national championship game? ESPN. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. I don't, speaking of that, I, I didn't bring it up on the show last night because we were talking about something else, but I don't know if anybody saw it. But after the game, you know, on the Fox set, the post game, they're interviewing like they've got the entire Michigan team over by the set. It's it's Mike Hill, it's you know Brady, it's Matt, it's Reggie, and it's Urban, and Harbaugh's up there with them. And Harbaugh and Urban Meyer could not be in a bigger battle to get as far away from one another as possible. Like they were on the very opposite ends of the desks, and it they did not look like they had any interest in moving closer to one another. It was hilarious. I. That doesn't surprise me. I, I will say now every time I watch Jim Harbaugh on TV, and I think the guy's an awesome football coach, and it's amazing how he's bounced back. It does. There was a meme on Instagram. I forgot who posted this, but I was like, it, "Your your parents on Facetime." Like Harbaugh always looks like he's like too close to the camera, or just like <laughs> how how does this thing work? It, it's uh, it's pretty awesome. Um, one thing I'm interested in is how deep can TCU go on Michigan, right? Teams, for the most part, have not chucked it deep on the Wolverines this year. And part of this, I think, is going to be, can Michigan sit in too high and 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 force TCU to execute underneath? And, and that means that they're getting pressure, they're getting live movement, they're, they're compressing that pocket around Max Duggan without needing to blitz. Uh, but just looking at the stats, that is something that, that stands out to me, is, is that most teams have not gone deep on Michigan. And I, I, I want to see if you can. Yeah, I, I do think that for like, this is not our interest, but for NFL evaluators, you know, Quentin Johnson is somebody who's kind of climbed up draft boards this year. I think this will be a very important game for him as far as his possible first round future if he's able to do so. But as, as for the other half of the equation of Ohio State and Michigan meeting in the title game, it's just Ohio State can beat Georgia. Like they got dis- they got beat up by Michigan. But just in a vacuum, this is a very good team. Like, they only lost the one game, and they lost to a team that didn't lose to anybody. But I just don't – it's weird. After seeing what happened to them against Michigan last year and what happened to them against Michigan this year, it's hard for me to look at that team and the way it plays and put it up against Georgia and think that it's going to win that game. It's right. just Because, I mean, obviously I'm coming at this just from the emotions – from the rivalry side of this, because the one thing that's always been placed into these kind of situations is that oftentimes I've heard from fans, you don't want it because the pain of the loss within the context of that rivalry would maybe be less than the joy of the win or the anxiety going into it almost wouldn't be worth it because if Ohio State or Michigan beats the other, in a national championship game on the field in the college football playoff, that thing is going to resonate for generations. It's like North Carolina Duke in the Final Four. And the curse continues. Mm-hmm. North Carolina basketball, three-game losing streak. North Carolina football, three-game losing streak. Chip Patterson, 0-18, two weeks in the locks. <laughs> but, like, I just – Ohio State's offense – is a beautiful thing. But the thing is with C.J. Stroud, who I think is a great quarterback and who will be one of the first quarterbacks taken in the NFL draft, like every single quarterback struggles when under pressure. That's kind of the whole point of putting pressure on them. It's a lot easier to throw a football when nobody's in your face and you're able to step in, take your time, and put it where you want. But Stroud, I do feel, struggles with pressure in front of him a lot more than some of the other top guys. And with that, 
Ohio State offensive line, which I don't think is particularly exceptional. I think it's got some good players, but I don't think as a unit it has been anything that really kind of impresses me to the same level that a Georgia line does or a Michigan line does or a few other lines in the country. Going up against that Georgia front, I just don't see C.J. Stroud having many clean pockets to work with. And when he gets flustered is when he makes some bad decisions. And I just can kind of see that snowballing on him in this game against that defense, against a team that has, you know, it has NFL talent at corner. It has the kind of talent at corner that can match up with the NFL talent that Ohio State has receivers. And there aren't many other teams in the country that have that. And the times that Ohio State's offense has struggled is when they've run into the teams that have that. So it's difficult for me to think that the Buckeyes are going to beat Georgia here unless Georgia turns the ball over multiple times and the Ohio State defense balls out. You know, I I go through this and I'm not really sure what good passing games aside from Tennessee that Georgia's really faced. I, I I'm not disagreeing with Tom that Georgia's the talented team on defense. I, I think they are probably the best defense in the country. But at the same time, there is an element here with just college football defense in general. Either you have faced elite passing attacks or, or really good quarterbacks and, and seeing what you can do against them, or you haven't, right? And we see some teams that get lit up when they play decent quarterbacks and feast on bad ones. And in the SEC East this year, there was a lot of poor quarterback play, mm-hmm. right? Will, Will Levis did not play well. Brady Cook at, or at Missouri is not a good quarterback. Spencer Rattler has two good games, two average, and about four bad ones, right? Uh, Hooker obviously played well most of the year, so that is a feather in their cap. Richardson was wildly up and down. They got about two quarters of bad AR and about 20 minutes of, of good AR. Uh, who, who did Georgia play from the West? Will Rogers, who was kind of disappointing this year relative to expectations, and, and Auburn, obviously, no which doesn't, game. really doesn't believe in passing. So, you know, we'll see how good these Georgia corners are. And can Georgia generate pressure without having to blitz too much? I don't know. I I don't know that Georgia has great pass rushers off the edge. And I do think Ohio State has some decent pass protecting tackles there. So I, I'm excited to watch that matchup from that perspective. They may they might be able to make Georgia play out of its comfort zone defensively better than Tennessee did. It's the, the, the counter to that though is how many elite passing attacks has Georgia faced? How many elite passing attacks exist? Like Tennessee, I think, is one of what we saw all year was one of the elite passing attacks from a scheme standpoint. Maybe not talent-wise, but they were tearing everybody apart. Georgia only had a week to prepare for that game and completely shut it down. Georgia's got a month to prepare for what Ohio State does and what it, you know what's trying to do. And we've seen Ohio State. What's happened to Ohio State when it's gone against elite defenses? Mm-hmm. The offense doesn't work as well. And we've seen multiple examples of that. So... It's gonna be. It's gonna come down to who wins those battles. If, like you said, if Georgia gets pressure, Ohio State's in a lot of trouble. If Ohio State gets pressure and can force turnovers and get Georgia offense off the field, or get them in a situation kind of like we talked about ahead of yesterday's game, where you have to put things on Stetson Bennett's shoulders, then Ohio State can win that game. It's it's weird to say in a game that has that much talent on the outside that this is all going to come down to the trenches, but it is. Oh no, that's right out of football one hundred and one. <laughs> Yeah, that's, I'm just going to actually copy and paste that for all the radio hits over the next month. Well, you know, it comes down to the trenches and uh, winning the turnover battle. They're cliches for a reason, man. <laughs> um, do, all right, Jackson Smith and Jigba, you think he comes back? No. No. Are, 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 is that being reported somewhere? No, no, no. I, I just think that the Ohio State fan right now is thinking, hey, 
If JSN comes back, the math changes. And that would be a difference maker that is worth reconsidering Ohio State's chances to be able to score touchdowns and overwhelm the Georgia secondary with the talent on the outside. I mean, I, I think that Marvin Harrison Jr. is the best wide receiver in college football this season. And now all of a sudden, if you add somebody with the ceiling of Jackson Smith and Jigba, the math changes. But what's, what's the thought process if you're an Ohio State fan, if you're Johnny Buckeye, and you're convincing yourself that JSN might come back for this game? Your thought process is JSN's going to come back because it's a big game. Was the Michigan game a big game? Because he didn't play in that one. And maybe you're thinking another month of time off will be what he needs to heal. He's had three months to heal. Maybe maybe start asking yourself the possibility that it's not just the hamstring that's keeping him off the field. Can can we at least uh, entertain the idea that if you were Ohio State, you'd put out the smoke that he's playing? Oh, I would, and I would, like, I would like be trying to get him to play. If, I mean, if that's okay, yeah, hundred yeah, percent. But like, <laughs> even if you have received word behind the scenes, or at least the notion behind the scenes uh, that he is not going to play, you at least have to put it out there to make Georgia think about it, right? It's a different offense with him in. Like, mm-hmm. this, I love Marvin Harrison Jr. Right, and Marvin Harrison Jr. is a good athlete. He's a great body control guy. He's a technician, and he also has great hands. He is not a burner, right? Smith the Jigba does give them a different speed element that they have lacked right now. And, and it's hard to say they lacked. I mean, they're probably the best offense in the country. But they are different with him, you know. So we will we'll see. Like if he's decided he's gonna play, that's huge. that does change the game. Yes. Yeah. Georgia should not be a seven point favorite if Smith the Jigba plays. Way yeah. too early. We've got so much time to break this down, and we will. Don't don't worry, but way too early. What are your predictions? How do you think this goes? See Georgia and Michigan in the final. Um, yeah, I agree at this point. Georgia, Michigan, the potential for Ohio State, Michigan, at least in the odds makers standpoint, seems like it is more likely than if we were to get Ohio State TCU. Georgia TCU, also a possibility. Though TCU wins, it would be the Big 12's first college football playoff win. A lot of college oh, football wow. playoff appearances. Mm-hmm. No Big 12 team has ever advanced to the national championship game. Um, and congratulations to the Big 10. You also now join the club of a conference to get two teams in. And congratulations to Tom Fernelli, who called this thing back in July when he said Ohio State and Michigan were both going to enter the game undefeated and they were both going to make the college football playoff. With the loser as the number four seed. With the loser. Even, I was that specific. Woof. Man, very excited, uh, and thanks to everybody for hanging out. Uh, We're going to continue to be delivering lots of bowl content, transfer portal content, more coaching news as it comes down the way. So be sure that you are subscribed to the Cover 3 podcast wherever you get your podcasts, youtube.com slash Cover 3. Smash the bell for notifications, and you can follow him on Twitter at Tom Finelli. You can follow him at BudElliott3. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. See you all. Oh, I have to end it. <laughs>